Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Getting you through your workday one hour at a time. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome in, folks, for the Friday, the end of another working week. For most people, I know people will carry on working through the weekend. And thank you for all keeping the wheels of the New Zealand economy rolling, your champions. Ah, geez, I've got a good show today. Like, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just hit the jackpot with your guests, and I think today's one of those days. John O'Nabs. We caught up with him, I'm thinking it was about three weeks ago, maybe four. A Kiwi man uh, running the width of Canada. More on that shortly. Julian Dean, seven-time Tour de France competitor, uh, regarded as the best lead-out man potentially of all time when he was leading out Tour Hushrov in the Tour de France and a number of other tours. He's Rogero d'Italia's Tour of Spain's. He's won stages himself. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal <clears throat> cyclist. The best New Zealand's produced on the Grand Tour stage. A couple of Kiwis lining up in the Tour de France this year as well. Dion Smith and uh, Corbin Strong, who we've had on the show before. The young fella having his first tour, which is fantastic. Mitch McLennigan, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed when we go to Bulawayo. Uh, after midnight, he's in good form. Um, he's part of the commentary team of the Cricket World Cup pre-qualifying uh, series involving teams like USA and Oman and UAE, uh, Scotland, Ireland, West Indies, Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe. Um, he's been commentating that. They're into the Super Six stage with Zimbabwe getting a narrow win in the first round of the Super Sixes last night. So we'll catch up with Mitch. And of course, on a Friday, Jeremy Paul, the Jeremy Paul show. That's definitely just after two o'clock. Uh, we will review the Super Rugby final with him. I want to talk to him about the selection of the Wallabies squad. Um, and no doubt he want to talk about the Ashes. In fact, I know he does because he texted me and said, I want to talk about the Ashes because he's such a big sports fan as well. And he'll probably chuck some league in as well. And we always welcome your questions for JP, which you can start sending in now, if you like, because I have a little folder on my desk here that allows me to keep them all aside for JP. But we're going to kick it off and have a think about, I find this young man so inspirational, uh, John O'Nabs. I think he's about 32, um, doing this selfless run, the width of Canada, 8,000 kilometres. And I note, he's not a runner, but he's becoming one. 
Uh, when we when he started out, he was doing ten k's a day. That was as much, or even five. Uh, and he wanted to build it up to be a marathon a day, or even a little bit further as his body got used to it. He's, he was worried about his body breaking down. Um, he had absolutely no news coverage when he started on this um, venture. Um, no one knew of him. Just looking at him weird, pushing a pushchair through the uh, along the streets and along the country roads. Um, so that was three weeks ago. We're going to catch up with him very shortly. But first, um, I guess you could say he's made the big time. He made a network news story. So to bring you up to date with him, just before we link up with him, here is John O'Nabs on Canadian National TV. All right, we're about to meet a man who has come from across the world to go across Canada. SCTV's Ryan McDonald shows us John Nabs of New Zealand runs to raise money after tragedy struck twice in his family. Pushing a stroller containing all of his luggage along the Trans-Canada Highway on a cool, rainy day, John Nabs of New Zealand is a man on a mission. Right across from the Atlantic to the Pacific to uh, spread a bit of a good vibe and some inspiration and raise some funds for children fighting cancer. The 32-year-old decided to run from St. John's to Vancouver after losing both of his parents to cancer in 2020 and 21. I know that feeling that comes, that, that awful, sort of like you've been punched in the stomach when, when you get that diagnosis and it's just total desperation and loss of hope. His parents' passing also inspired Nabs to follow his dreams now, one of which was to see the world. That's another reason why he's running coast to coast across its second largest nation. John Nabs here on the Cross Canada Run, day 53. All while documenting the journey on social media. Canada is so big that it scared me stiff to think if I could actually make it across. When I first heard about somebody going all the way across Canada, solo, unsupported, without the entourage, my initial reaction was, that's impossible. There's another reason he chose Canada. Terry Fox is a hero of his. Nabs says to run some of the very same roads Terry did during his marathon of hope is humbling. He did everything I'm now trying to do, except he did it with one leg and with cancer in his body. So, my gosh, that guy had some courage. Having already crossed Newfoundland, Nabs is only on his second province, but he's struck by the beauty of the landscape here and friendliness of the people. The hospitality I've received, it's just knocked my socks off. It's been so lovely. Though finishing won't be easy, he's bent on giving it his best. Come hell or high water, I'm determined to get to Vancouver. So it is a great pleasure now to welcome in the man that's been interviewed on Canadian national television, which is a big, big plus, I'm sure. John Nabs joins us somewhere in Canada. You've got Newfoundland behind you, um, but you're carrying on. How's the progress going, John? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on, Steph. Um, it is it's going really well. I'm currently in Nova Scotia, um, just about 150 k's into the journey through here so far, and um, it's, it's going really well. I think that I... Day before yesterday, I clocked over a thousand kilometres for the whole journey, and um, currently on day fifty-eight, which um, it's been a bit of a slow build. But Newfoundland's behind me. The the battle that that was, um, the sort of the, the the slow daily miles and the build um, and the, the unbelievable cold weather and all of that. But um, I'm, it's all it's all increasing. I'm up to about thirty k's uh, per day every day now, which is nice to see it climbing. Wow. Um, getting up towards that goal I want to be hitting of about sort of 50 or 60 uh, per day every day in about uh, seven or eight weeks time so yeah it's all going well. So over 50 days in the saddle um, have you managed a day off yet John? 
I have. I've actually had a couple of niggles um, that have sort of forced the day off. Um, the Oddly enough, the left leg has been totally fine and the right leg has got two different forms of tendonitis, one in the patella tendon under the knee and one in the hamstring um, up sort of by the top of my leg. Um, and they're both, they've both been clearing up for about the last three weeks and um, thankfully it's not do or die like they're 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 painful but they're manageable so um i've got a i've got a blooming good physio um with high performance sport new zealand um andy near he's um he's sort of behind me on this and give me all the advice on how to look after the tendonitis but still get the miles in um but yeah i probably have been sort of forced with those to take maybe four or five days off so far just to nurse them but uh all going well yeah, well, it's not it's not really a step backwards, it's a step sideways, because if you haven't got your legs, you can't run, you can't push your push chair. Exactly, yeah, yeah, and we've figured right from the get-go that, the it, it, you know, it's not like an 80-minute sort of footy game where you can just sort of box on and just get to the end and then assess the damage, do the rest and recovery, and, and you know, this is a limb long haul, and so we figure... If you get a niggle, if, if it's a little one, you know, push on. But if it's a, a, a proper one that d- d- deserves your attention, um, nothing wrong with just stopping. If it's a day or two days, whatever it takes to sort of get it back to a manageable sort of level and then crack on. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're running out of 8,000 Ks here. If it ends up, if, if it's going to take, you know, six months, or in the grand scheme of things, if it takes six months and ten days, who really cares? You know, when when you're looking back on this thing in a couple of years' time. Now, when we touched base with you for the first time uh, two or three weeks ago, um, you said you were doing it to raise money and awareness for cancer, etc. But we didn't really discuss why you chose cancer as the charity. Are, are, you, are you happy to talk to us about why you chose that charity? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. So I'm supporting the Child Cancer Foundation of New Zealand, uh, as well as sort of the equivalent over here in Canada, um, Child Cancer Canada. Um, the reason for that, um, specifically around cancer, um, both of those organisations put money towards cancer research, um, which I think is really cool, as well as just supporting um, current patients. The reason they're special to me, uh, or that's sort of meaningful to me, is that um, in 2021, oh, sorry, 2020, um, I lost my dad to uh, skin cancer, and then in 2021, um, just over a year later, I lost mum to bowel cancer. And um, I, yeah, I sort of want to, I, I know that feeling, that, that desperate sort of hopeless feeling that, um, people that, that, that you go through when you get a diagnosis in the family and sort of like you've, I don't know, the, the, the carpet's been pulled out from under you sort of thing and um, it's, it's, it sucks. And uh, I just thought, um, I love doing big adventures like this. Uh, last year, I was lucky enough to walk the Te Araroa Trail in New Zealand and one of the things that I was totally unex- uh, not expecting with that journey was how much it would sort of lift up and, and, and sort of... Uh, energize and, and inspire I suppose the people that would um, hear about what we were doing you know you 
sort of come in out of out of uh, the national park and stuff, come down to a wee town to buy um, some more food before heading back out um, to carry on. And, you know, you'd just be standing in the four square having a chat with someone and they'd, you know, tell them what you're doing and, and they'd just light up and it was wonderful. And, and it was, it was, it was crazy as well. They wouldn't just sort of, you know, be curious. They would really, <laughs> you could tell they were, they, they, they loved, loved hearing about what you're doing and, and, um, wanted to know how they could help and, and, and saying, Oh yeah, well, you know, I used to dream about doing things like that or whatever. And, and, um, it really just gave people a lift. And I thought, well, man, if there's any, um, you know, with the experiences I had had with, with mum and dad getting their diagnoses and just that, that tunnel, that bloody grey tunnel you're in um, when someone in the family's got a diagnosis and you're, you're just sitting there hoping for like remission or, or for a cure, even if the, the doctor already told you that it's stage four or terminal sort of thing. I think it, it's it's people in that um, in that position that um, that would that I could really bring that um, that sort of that uplift to. I thought that it you know maybe maybe something a little bit like relief um, you know just for a moment if um, I could you know do this journey um, stop in and then spend some time sort of share the journey uh, almost with with kids that are fighting cancer and um, and their families and just sort of try and and do a little bit a little bit of good through through that means um is that like to take on something like running the width of canada i'd imagine you'd need something extra to rather than just say i'm going to do it so in those times when you got your cramp you got your blisters you got your sore feet do you go to that it's a cliche but do you go to your why you're doing it 100 percent. yeah yeah um in that time, so far it's been it's been um, quite pleasant, and, and it hasn't hasn't really I haven't really sort of been in the hole uh, too many times, but um, a couple of times, and um, and I've I've sort of prepared in advance. Like I, I, I thought it would be silly to undertake something like this without really having the, the fundamentals and the motivation um, really dialed in. Um, and yeah, I think I've got that pretty pretty sorted. It's um, yeah, and they have yeah, yeah. So to 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 share that, there have been a few times um, where I've had a few uh, hard days, freezing cold days, with a with a, a northerly coming in off the Arctic Circle down through Newfoundland, and just just stripping every ounce of motivation that you've got. Um, and yeah, the the place I sort of deliberately take my my mind is um, just thinking about people in the wards. Uh, in sort of the same situation that mum and dad were in when I was spent all the time in the wards with them. And, um, uh, yeah, and, you know, yeah. Take so, my mind there, think about them, think about what they're going through. And that uh, immediately, any, any uh, you know, if there were any moment of low motivation, um, thinking about that sort of stuff just uh, brings the drive right back for noise. So that's really, it's, it's been really cool to see that that, that works. I know at the very start when you started out thinking, how the hell am I going to do this eight thousand k's and go all the way to Vancouver? Um, can you give us can you give us the path you've taken so far, just for, for the geography nuffies out there, and they can get out a Canadian map and just um, you know in a, in a condensed version the path you've taken and where the pin on the map is for you right now. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started in at the easternmost point of North America, the North American continent, which is the city of St. John's in, on the island of Newfoundland, which is way, way, way out east, just down below Greenland. Um, and I traced, essentially, I, I ran along the, the route of the Trans-Canada Highway, sort of um, north through Newfoundland, um, and then yeah, way over to the east and then down to the southwest corner um, to a, the ferry terminal called Porto Basque, and then um, caught the ferry uh, four or five days ago now uh, across to Nova Scotia, and um, right on the top of... On that easternmost point of Nova Scotia, uh, there's an island as well called Cape Breton Island. It's about 150 k's uh, long, and I've just been following the Trans-Canada Highway as well down through there. And where I am right now, to put the pin, would be right at the little causeway bridge um, that links Cape Breton Island to Nova Scotia proper, and in fact to the Canadian mainland itself. So I've literally about uh, the I, I ended my run today by taking my first step onto the Canadian mainland. So that's exactly where I am right now. Little win. That's a little win. You know, you've 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 banked, <laughs> you've banked some stuff now. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Now you said when you first started out, no one knew you. No one knew what you were doing. You were getting a little bit on the odd community radio station, but we've seen you've got some TV coverage now. And just before we came on here, you've said uh, a family's taken you in and hopefully going to feed you and give you a comfy bed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it was not long after we chatted, actually, that uh, a fella, um, first bit of news, um, a channel back in Newfoundland, Labrador, they, they picked it up. And the car haunt, um, the, the way I gauge like whether or not the local community has heard of me and heard of the fundraiser and whatnot, is pretty much by how many car toots I get on the road every day when I'm running. <laughs> it's, it's all I've got. It's all I've got to go by. Um, but it's really fun. Um, and it's so sort of beyond that point, just after we started last, uh, we last spoke, um, yeah, the car toots, um, they were strong. They were good. That was really cool. And then um, I came over, uh, got the ferry over here to Nova Scotia um, last week, and it was pretty much back to zip. Yeah. And um, and so I was sort of feeling a bit uh, a bit down about that, I suppose. But thankfully, the Nova Scotians are just lovely, lovely, lovely people, and the, the geography around here is lovely. It's sort of like the Bay of Plenty. It's like, it's, and it's summertime here, so it's, it's cracking. It's it's so nice. Um, but then yeah, that news article that you talked to uh, a couple of minutes ago, um, uh, yeah, CTV um, Nova Scotia, they came and met me uh, a couple of days ago. And we did the article. Uh, he put it on. Um, oh, that aired uh, that night. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Tuesday night. And um, straight away, like like the next morning, um, like any like, way more cartoons than I ever had back in uh, Newfoundland. Um, the whole Cape Breton, Nova Scotia people just seem to have gotten totally behind me. I had. I've got people. I was running across the causeway that links Cape Breton Island with the Nova Scotian mainland um, just a couple of hours ago and um, there was this big backlog of traffic because there was a barge that they had to um, that was that was going through the causeway so holding a hundred odd cars were sitting there waiting and um, and I sort of just I, I was going across well once the barge was through and the bridge was reopened I was going across the causeway um, when all these cars were was sort of speeding on by once they were able to move again and um, it was so cool because 
I was sort of expecting that because um, it was a narrow causeway. I thought I would just sort of be an impediment and an annoyance to them trying to like hoon across this causeway and get to where they needed to go. But they were all um, they were tooting their horns in support. One fella who drove past me and um, I turned around and saw he was driving super slow, and I was like, "Oh crap, mind your way, sorry, sorry," and I was moving over. But no, nah, he was. Um, he, he was leaning over while he was driving and he was trying to drive at the same speed as me so he could lean over and hand me a $20 do, uh, donation to, to child cancer. And he's like, good luck for you, Judy. Love what you're doing. And, and then he drove off. And, and that's just been typical of what I've received the last two days uh, since uh, since that CTV article went up. So it's just been fantastic. So cool. It's so cool. I've got an idea for you, John. <laughs> I've got an idea. Get yeah. a, get a little flag thing for your push chair with all your goods in it and put a New Zealand flag and a Canada flag and you'll stick out like dog's balls. You need to stand out a bit more. Yeah, I love that. I have, I've got a Canada flag, but I've not thought about the New Zealand flag and I definitely need to fly the colours. So, mate, thank you. <laughs> That's all right. So, uh, johnnabs.com, J-O-N-N-A-B-B-S.com. Um, you've got some links to some videos, but more importantly, you've got the donation squares there uh, for Child Cancer Foundation New Zealand and CanadaHelps.org as well. John, I'm just I'm just so um, just so enamoured by what you, your story. It's just amazing. And the last thing I wanted to ask you: when you left, you thought, "Geez, I can't do it." Where's your belief now? Where's, where's your belief at? Oh, mate, I'm unless unless something seriously. Um, derails me like you know broken leg or get hit by a driver who's bloody texting or something like that um yeah no i'm, I'm up on the level i'm come hell or high water i'm getting to vancouver now it's good i'm definitely getting i want to come and do the show from vancouver when you get there <laughs> <laughs> oh mate wonderful yeah we can go for a swim in the pacific oh, definitely <laughs> if my bosses let me take the show to vancouver to welcome you in i'll bring my speedos mate and i'll be in i'll be in uh, uh job fantastic mate um i hope you've earned a bloody good rest and a, and a nice canadian feed as well uh let's hope that the body holds together gets stronger and stronger i'm so impressed you're doing up to 30 k's now a day um chew it up mate um you're doing us all proud back here Thanks, mate. And, uh, yeah, thank you for um, lending your time and your, your uh, talent to helping spread the word as well. I really appreciate it. Well, my time management skills were terrible with that interview because we're now hard on the edge of the news. Dino's been holding on there for a while. Inspirational, isn't he? John Nebs. Just inspirational. So I want you to share your inspirational stories with me. I mean, as recently as last night, the Black Ferns were just fantastic. What was it? 50-0. Just incredible. Six new caps. Wonderful. Uh, Ashes. What, tell me your inspirational stories. 0800 150 Dino, you're first in the queue. Jump in behind them, people, on 0800 150 Give us some inspirational stories to round off our week. But for now, here's Karen with the news. Well, listen, Buster. You better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. I uh, just got a text from Simon from West Footscray. 
fantastic to have listeners in Australia saying, Staffy, could you put up a link to John's website on Instagram? What a legend. We will. Um, we're a bit short-staffed here today. Sammy's off today getting an 18-hole golf lesson off Luke Toomey. How about that? So we've got Rubinho in here. So he's answering phones and getting podcasts up. So, uh, Simon, it is John Nabs, J-O-N-N-A-B-B-S.com. J-O-N-N-A-B-B-S dot com. And that's got little videos of his progress and it's got the two donate button bars as well. We will get it. We will get to it. Um, but that's what it is for those that are listening. Thank you very much for holding on, Dino and Dunedin. No worries, Staff. As far as inspiration goes, anyone in New Zealand doesn't have to go any further than just listening to Razor Ray. Mm. If he can't inspire you to get out of bed, you, you might. You're a corpse. <laughs> the guy's unbelievable, isn't he? But I, I, oh, he's incredible. But last night, so I didn't even hear it on the news. I did not know that the Black Ferns were playing Australia. I just happened to be surfing through the channels last night and caught them warming up. So watched the the whole game, and like it was incredible. Like I, I didn't know half the players from the team that was in the World Cup, and honestly, I didn't even start watching them until the World Cup, and. The first 15 minutes was test match rugby. You know, the Australians, they looked damn good. And then all of a sudden, like the All Blacks used to do, the Kiwi Ferns just put their foot on the throat. They did a line-out move, not the same as Woodcocks, but exactly the same effect. And it just carried on from that moment. Like, it was it was a, a really, really good watch. Mm. I was um, um, the girl Brunt, the number 12 for, for the Black Ferns. My word, what a player. Absolutely. Like, well, I, I'm like, is it Bremner? There's a lock in a, her sister's the number six. Like, I, man, if I was a matchmaker, I'd be seeing an Ethan Black out of that way. Like, we need some kids out of them. Like, imagine, <laughs> imagine the combination. Yes, Bremner sisters. Yeah. Absolutely. And the girl, t- well, the whole lot of them, stay. Mm. you can't single. That's why they're good. They don't want you singling them out. You know, they, they just act as a collective unit with great coaching. Obviously, we've given them some resources to help, but they're making the most of it. You know, they haven't got show ponies at centre. They've got a girl that tackles her guts out, Duplessis, I think her name was. That's it. And just distributes the ball. And like, you watch that game and you think, and this sounds a little bit disrespectful, but it does look like, for me, late 80s, early 90s men's rugby when it's not all that pod rubbish that we have now. But you could see the tries coming, and they'll know when they review that that they put a couple of kicks in. And this is a scary thing for anyone else in world women's rugby. They could have scored considerably more tries. They had three on or two, three on twos several times and put a wee kick through, whereas straightening, unloading, it was try time. So they're only going to get better. Yeah, Incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. It was wonderful viewing. Wonderful viewing. Dino, thank you for kicking us off, buddy. No problem. Here he is. Uh, we go to Huntley. Talk to Brett. G'day, Brett. Yeah, bro. Uh, Vancouver's right on the border here of the States. I'm just yeah. been Googling, Google mapping where he is. And uh, yeah, he's a long way from home. But yeah, Nova Scotia, um, Cape Breton Island, found that. Um. I think but, he, I think he's in Alds A U L D S Alds Cove just across the cause. I found the causeway, and he's just on the other side of that. So I think he's in Alds Cove, which he's got a long way to go. But when you look at 
how far he's actually run so far, given he's not a runner, and now he's up to 30 k's a day. It's just a phenomenal story. I know. Oh, yeah, he'd be sore, man, 30 k's a day. I'm I'm only doing that in a week. I've been tucking and cycling and, and swimming. But uh, inspiration, um, I, as when I watched my first Ironman live, as inspiring as, as it was to see Braden win it, it was uh, the people who finished, you know, over twice as long yeah. as him. And, and the 16 to 17 hour crew who I had seen after 14 hours who looked like they were going to pass out and then seeing them at the finish line, you know, charging charging down there. And that, was, that inspired me to not be an Ironman, but I wanted to feel what they felt. I hear what you're saying. It is such an inspire. Like people say when you go to the Ironman, the one in Taupo or any of them, it's the ones that come in the dark with the headlamps on, barely can walk and their families ready to receive them, all with different reasons that they're doing it, inspirational stuff. Yeah, and then it's, a, then it's just become a battle against myself now. And yeah, I, I hang around until it, it closes down and watch watch that last hour group come in and you see them out during the day and uh, you wonder how they do it. Mm. And I've always said, like, they're redlining for seven or eight hours longer than the elite athletes. Now, they're not not as fast, they're not as seasoned, but they're redlining for hours. (laughs) So when, uh, when those pros are finishing is when I get off the bike, Wow, with a marathon ahead <laughs> so of you. I've still got a marathon to go, and, and I'm hearing the winner coming. Yeah, and they're going, you are an Iron Man, and you're like, I've got a marathon to go yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to change my shoes, and I'll see you in five hours. Yeah, wow. Mate, but you're just as worthy of applause as the guys that come first, second, third in my book. We'll go for one more in March, Steph. Get into it. And then we'll retire again. Okay, bro. See <laughs> bro. Take it easy. You too, mate. Brett from Huntley. Life member Zaid. G'day, Zaid. Hello. Hello. Um, I had a quick question. Mm. Is there any chance I could be able to come in and um, talk about the UFC big card next week? Next week? Tell yeah, what, um, what's on the card. I'll be the I'll be the decider here. If it's big enough. Uh, Alexander Alexander Volkanovsky versus um, Rodriguez, Dan Hooker versus Jalen. Yes, you can come in. Whitaker versus. Yes, you can come in. Yes, you can come in. Uh, Yes, you can come in. (laughs) Okay, Brandon Moreno. Yeah, it's the most stacked card of the year, pretty much. Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker. He's he's got he's got a key to my enthusiasm. That young man. Yeah, and you obviously know who my. Most influenced team is, is obviously um, City Kickboxing. Yes. Yeah. And that... they, um, they, I was watching a video yesterday, and, and he said they're actually going to do a, um, a reality TV show. So um, what they're doing is, is they're inviting eight amateurs um, to City Kickboxing, and then whoever wins the show um, gets a scholarship at CKB and joins the professional team for a whole year. Wow. Um, at City Kickboxing. Do we see Zaid White as one of the eight? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. And uh, go the Waz. 
up the, are you going to the Waz? Nah, sold out. I'm going. Yeah, enjoy. It should be a good game. I reckon. I reckon Warriors are going to do them. No, no Latrell Mitchell. I think Warriors all day. Yeah, and I'm hearing no Cam Murray either, which is a big out. So I think Warriors will steamroll them. Oh, I think it's too easy. Hope so, Zade. Yeah, I hope so, Warriors. Buddy. I mean, I mean, it might be close because of the weather, maybe, but I think they'll win. Hope so. Good on you, champion. Yeah, I think so, but. Thank you. Have a good rest of the show. You too, buddy. So we'll have Zayden studio next Friday. I've just promised them that, so I'll follow through on my promises. Uh, live commentary tonight of the Warriors against South Sydney Rabbitohs. Uh, build-up starts from 7, 7 till 8. Sam and Kempe will do a bit of a build-up show, a bit of a preview show. Um, I'm going to do the last little bit of that as they relocate to the commentary box, and then they'll be up in the commentary box, and I'll be sideline. Uh, wrapped up, rugged up, uh, weatherproofed up. Learned my lesson last time. Got freezing, got drenched. Um, but I've got the wardrobe ready for sideline commentary. Cannot wait for the Warriors South Sydney tonight. And it all is all live here on SENZ, if you don't mind. And then you can hang on in there and we'll have the ashes as well. It's a good time to be alive. Give us a yell. 0800-150-811. You can, I'd never do this. I'm going to do it for the first time in two years. Open line talk back. We've got 15 minutes to go. Ring me and talk to me about anything you like. Inspirations, uh, John Nabs, um, the Warriors, the All Blacks are on a plane. Get, come on, just talk to me. Uh, welcome back in 0800 150 Really like to hear from you as we close in on 1 o'clock. Joe from Gizzy. G'day, Joe. That's, that's up there, mate. Good I've thing. got some rain up there. We've got some sunshine. Oh, we've got plenty uh, of rain. Don't worry about that. Mate, we've had 12 months where so you can have some for a week. Yeah, that's hey, it. Just looking at the, the state of rugby, great great win by the Blackburns last night. The 20s, well, under 12, was playing under 20s, really. Proposal coming of the World League, boys talking a little bit about this morning, maybe 26, maybe 27. That's going to open up the option for players the seas and play for overseas teams because we're all in the same league. Yep. Yeah, looking at uh, about the Silver Lake money, to see where that's going now at grassroots level because our under-20 side, we're in a little bit of strife in the next 10 years. Mm. Really be intrigued to see if New Zealand rugby will broaden their horizons as playing overseas clubs. All Blacks, which would lighten our financial load as a union allow us to retain both playing in the same sample. I'm with you. Yeah, the, yeah. I, like Matty Proctor's just signed for the Rebels um, and I would like the fact that he's playing for the Rebels in a very, very good defensive midfielder. Um, I'd like him to be able to pick, be picked for a national honour that he's playing in the Super Rugby. Um, and we can't afford, I know we've got Silver Lake money, but that's finite. That's finite. And I think about a million dollars went to every uh, union, but for a lot of unions, that just paid their debt and got them out of the stock, and they didn't have any more money to put back in to try and grow the game there. But I'm with you, like a, a closer association with Japan, a closer association and putting some of our young players into super rugby teams elsewhere and being able to pick them from there, or we're going to get left behind, mate. That's right. We don't have size, and with 
the progression of other sports in New Zealand, and especially the likes of basketball taking some big units away from what used to be our platform with, with youth rugby, mm. I definitely think we need to tilt you know, the prism and look at the light coming through differently. And hopefully, with Razor there, he may be able to push those types of things through. Very progressive guy, you know, very left of field to all the mainstream New Zealand rugby. But look at his success. And, and yes, he came to a, a franchise which was born of All Blacks, through All Blacks there as well. Continue to do it with people like Dallas McLeod. So I just think that overall picture, the last three or four years, the influx of money into women's sport and our, and our girls' sport at different levels, the amazing work going on in Northland, you know, with their recruit, paid recruitment officers in their leagues, growing their sport 30% this year, still need to really focus on our grassroots um, and look for ways at the top end to alleviate our, our so that then we're able to put more of our talent on display but keep it for our black jersey. And by the way, my nine-year-old son told me, oh, hey, I've got a new project at school. I didn't realise he designed the all-black jersey. (laughs) 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 Good stuff, Joey. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, mate. Joe out of Gisborne. Gary in Upper Hutt. G'day, Gary. G'day, Steph. Hey, I uh, just wanted to run up and say thanks for finding out where we can um, watch the Waterns tonight. That's all right. On YouTube channel, apparently. I'm quite looking forward to that one. I, I really would have thought Spy would have jumped on board, you know, and actually, you know, it wouldn't cost too much to get the rights for that, I wouldn't have thought, but nevertheless, yeah. Yeah, YouTube Sri Lanka Cricket. It's their channel. Yeah, I'll give that a crack tonight. Um, hopefully they get a game in. Um, the weather there yesterday was appalling. They couldn't even get a practice in by the sounds of it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, because that's the same place, so the, you know, a bit of that sort of tropical weather over there. So hopefully we get a game in. I think they really liked um, the other day not having a practice match mm. um, when they got over there because they actually did all right. But, um, yeah, obviously not well enough to win. And, I mean, we should beat Sri Lanka, but... Yeah, quite looking forward to that tonight. So that'll be on the laptop and uh, the Warriors will be on the tally. So well, I then you've got yeah, to the, squeeze the, the ashes in there as well. Yeah, the, cricket, <laughs> the, the women's cricket starts at 4.30. Yeah. So um, that's, yeah. not, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a 50 over match though. So, you know, that'll go through to around midnight sort of thing. So that's, a, yeah, no, it's great time. And I'll sit down and watch that so long as it's not raining. Yes. Uh, like I say, yeah, I think they'll be better for the performance the other day. But, um, yeah, it's just whether or not they get out there and actually get to have a match. But yeah. we'll see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, buddy. You enjoy yep. your weekend, All mate. Right. Good on you. Thank you. See, see you, you mate. Um, we got one minute left. Let's go to Joey in Auckland. Joey, we've got 60 seconds. Yeah, good day, Steph. I think the um, Dolphins might roll with my Broncos tonight. I think they might I, too. Uh, with, uh, yeah, I think, you know, Wayne Bennett's a really shrewd coach. He won't like... Having um, 40 odd points scored against them three times, it won't happen the fourth time, and um, we're struggling a little bit. Without Walsh, I mean, Walsh has been a lot of our attacks, um, and I think they could roll us. I think the Warriors will win. I think the Warriors can win by 12 and under, and I think the um, I think the Dolphins can beat, beat us by 12 and under, too. Yeah, and. Uh, I don't like that. It'll be a shame because you've finally got a home game for the Broncos, and, I, I, you know, it's been a long time between drinks. I'd like you to get a win at home. We've got a home game, haven't we? Yeah. That's unusual. You know, I mean, most of our games have been, you know, playing one home, two away. It's been tough on us. You know, 
We've got a scoot, Joey. Okay, have a good one, mate. See you, go, buddy. Go, the body. Turbos. Get up the turbos. A mate of mine's just sponsored Jersey 13 for the turbos. I'm so happy for it. I'm, I'm here for it. We'll take our last break before the news. Uh, some text messages that have been coming in. Uh, hi, Sunshine. Black Ferns, real good. However, the under-20s got smashed against the Frogs. Uh, Ken says, Staffy, I think we need to settle down about the under-20s. There was a lot of good. And remember, uh, of that French under-20 team of last few years, only two have gone on to the top side. And we did get a penalty try through our scrum. And we had probably seven boys that didn't go because of injuries. Don't panic, rugby fans, from Ken. Okay, we won't panic. Um, gosh, we're nearly done. We're nearly done. We've got the news. Straight after the news, we're going to catch up with seven-time Tour de France competitor, New Zealand's best ever Grand Tour cyclist, Julian Dean. He joins the show after Karen's news. We are on the eve of the Tour de France, which is a fantastic sporting event and we're very lucky to be joined very very shortly by Julian Dean who rode in a number of them lead out man and I've always said that uh, I think he's the best Grand Tour cyclist New Zealand's ever produced. Uh, Retired from cycling he's done a stint in management of teams as well so before we catch up with Jules uh, I just take take you back to when he was the lead out man for Tor Hoshoft in the Tour de France. Still Robbie McEwen is not going to I can see Robbie Hunter trying to get through but they're still not going to make a big spin Julian Dean's on the front now Dean has found his man Tor Hushoff Dean the champion of New Zealand Hunter coming on Dean's wheel Hushoff opens the sprint in the centre now but Foster trying to get through on the right here as now Tor Hushoff hits the line at last well Tor Hushoff was perfectly set up for that win there by Julian Dean I just saw the black and white jersey the Kiwi national champion was right in the right place he sacrificed himself completely you need a sprinter to lead out a sprinter and big tour has not been superb over these last couple of days but at the end of the day when you're set up like that by julian dean you have to say thanks very much mate and you have to finish it off well it is my favorite sporting event i've said that a number of times i watch every single minute of the tour the france and that little clip you heard just then was our very own julian dean leading out Tor Hushovd as he did so many times uh, in the Tour de France. But he's ridden in seven Tour de France's, five Giros, uh, three Vuelta, Espanas, six top ten finishes in the Tour de France, including a team time trial win in 2011. Julian Dean, this time of year, it's your time of year, but not as a competitor, but I bet you're interested in this year's uh, Tour de France. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be an exciting Tour de France. I mean, Tour de France is always exciting. And, um, you know, this year is going to be no different, particularly with the interesting course the organisers have laid out this year. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, like Even stage one, it's, go- it's going to take them about five hours. And there's hill climbs, stage one, no friendly start. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, if, if you sort of just stand back and, and look at the, at the, the Tour de France course this year, um, you know, it's, a, it's very, you know, there's not one day really when people are going to be able to relax. And obviously starting down in the Basque country there uh, in Spain, the Basques are mad for the sport. Um, the first time Tour de France has ever started down there. So that's going to be uh, a huge event for that, for that region and those aficionados of cycling. Uh, but that's a tough region to be starting the Tour de France and lots of up and downs. 
Um, you know, and it's going to be, you know, the, the favourites for the tour this year, Vindergaard and Podcar, are going to have to be on their toes uh, from stage one uh, right through to Paris. Now, of course, you were part of it as a competitor, but then in, um, once you'd retired, you became part, you know, a, a team director and a strategizer and all that sort of thing. Um, what did you learn as uh, from following in the car uh, that you didn't quite understand when you were just bashing it out on the bike? Yeah, I think really, you know, one of the biggest differences when when you roll roll over to management is, um, you know, you don't understand um, the the time and energy that goes into preparing uh, an event like the Tour de France. You, know, you often think as an athlete, you just sort of, uh, you know, you're oblivious to what's been put in, in place from uh, all the staff and every team uh, leading into uh, any big event. And, and that's the way it should be as an athlete, because as an athlete, you know, you've got to just concentrate on on your race. But you know, you can guarantee that, that every team uh, in these months leading up to the Tour de France has sent someone out to drive every metre of every stage already, taking notes and um, loading it into their um, their car-based apps and, and having all that information at hand is, is just one of the you know, extreme things that, that sort of happens uh, in the sport these days. And, you know, we've often been able to see some of that now. Uh, with some of these, these Netflix documentaries that many people have been uh, been watching this last few weeks. Yeah, I managed to do the whole season in two nights. I was just transfixed by it. And, and I think my take out of it, Jules, was the athletes absolutely bury themselves physically, but the support crew bury themselves mentally, like geeing them up, picking them up when they have a crash, and the stress that goes on in those team cars when they want their guys to go or they're falling off the back up a mountain. It's, gosh, it's an emotional um, event. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's really, really very demanding. And, you know, I always remember when, when I was riding the Tour de France, um, you know, you'd get home, we'd get back to our apartment in Spain in, in August. And obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're physically exhausted and uh, because, you know, you put every, everything out uh, out on the road. Um, but, you know, even when I was working in management and we'd work, I remember, specifically remember the first Tour de France I did as a as sport director. And I came home and, and my wife was like, oh, goodness, you're, uh, you know, you're almost more tired than when you were a rider. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, you know, it's just that transfer of energy. You know, when you're, a, when you're in the management or sport director, you know, you're giving energy uh, all the time to the athletes, you know, to try and boost them up, to try and keep them going. You know, you're trying to keep the mechanics on their game, the swan years on their game. You know, you're just constantly putting out energy, keep everyone in line, keep them up and keep them working hard. And, you know, it's just uh, as an athlete, you're probably taking more energy. But in the team environment, on um, that management side, you're, you're definitely giving it, and it can be equally as exhausting. And I guess as management, it's about um, managing the information you give the cyclists because they're going to be under stress pretty early on every single stage. But they can only look one stage at a time, I guess. But management-wise, is there conscious like, okay, stage five, that's going to be our recovery day. We all have to finish. We don't want people to get away. And every single team's got a different mission for every single stage and you're second-guessing and, and all of that. that. That must be a huge challenge as well. Yeah, I think, you know, the, 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 you know, the tactics have to be reviewed every day. Obviously, you go in with a, you know, a bit of a strategy um, depending on the strengths of your team and, and your specific riders that you've got. If we look at this year's tour, Vindegaard and Podgar are sort of head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of being able to wear that 
uh, yellow jersey uh, on the roads into Paris there at the end of the event. But, you know, one particularly interesting thing around this year's Tour de France is, you know, there's lots of hilly stages. And when I mean hilly, I don't mean like the big mountains that we've had uh, that we're used to in the Pyrenees and the Alps, but lots of these intermediate stages in the Mass of Central and in Jura uh, as we head across towards the Alps there um, as a second lot of mountains. And those stages are really, really hard. The, uh, you know, the, they can often be very, very hot stages and, you know, you can get big groups going up the road early on, those sort of um, medium mountains. You know, and the wrong person gets in those groups, a, a, a Bardet or someone like that or a, um, a Martinez or a Carapaz, one of those guys, and they go up the road, you know, they can easily take three or four minutes on some of those favourites of Jumbo, Visma and, and UAE. So, you know, it's going to be stressful. The racing's going to be awesome because, uh, you know, those media mountain stages, no one can let anything go. I'm really, um, having watched that Tour de France uh, doco on Netflix, a um, couple of riders, Tom Pidcock and Walt Van Aert, both with mountain biking backgrounds, and I think Cadell Evans had came from that discipline as well. But Walt Van Aert is an absolute weapon. He's never going to win the Tour de France, but he can stop someone else winning. He's he's such a lion-hearted rider. Yeah, it's really, really extraordinary. You know, this era of cycling that we're seeing at the moment is just amazing. And for a spectator, you know, you're sitting on the edge of your seat uh, from the first kilometre to the last kilometre. And, you know, even the likes of, of Pidcock and, and when he won the World Championships last year or, or Podska, you know, they just do things that we, you know, we think are nuts at the time, you know, attacking solo 70 kilometres to go. But so often they seem to be able to pull it off and just do these extraordinary things. And Walt Van Aert, uh, Jumbo Visma, you know, is another one. You know, we've seen him win time trials. We've seen him win mountain stages. And we've seen him win, win sprint stages. And he, you know, he tries every time he gets a chance uh, to try and crack something. So, uh, you know, just an extraordinary group of riders. You know, the, and the amazing thing is that, that, that nobody's afraid of anything. They just get out there and do it. It's uh, no holding back. Yeah, and he, someone like him, and I'm picking on him because they did a couple of episodes just on him, and he's he's so selfless. And in these big teams, there's only one they're going to have a crack at GC. Some teams don't even have a crack at the, the yellow jersey. They're about the sprint jersey or the mountain jersey or the junior jersey, and he just does whatever is best for the team. Um, and he... He got uh, he got given a stage, I think, in last year's tour by his team leader because of all the work he'd done. The team leader ch- decided, I'm not going to chase him down. I'm going to let him have a win. And it, I almost teared up watching it. Um, the team unity part uh, and the team unity or the, the team member makeup, how important is that in the selection of your final squad that you take into the Tour de France? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. And, you know, I, I sort of, Steer away from you know, you know, culture and all, all these sorts of words that we sort of hear about um, in organisations these days. But you know, you've really got to have guys that want to go to the trenches with you. And you know, remember, we see these guys, um, you know, in this Netflix documentary or in this next three weeks at the Tour de France. But let's remember they've been racing together all season. Uh, they've been doing you know preparation training camps at, at high altitude in, in Tenerife and Granada in Spain. Um, doing races together. So they are together, you know, for probably more with each other than they are with their families during the season. So, you know, that that camaraderie, that trust, that loyalty, 
you know, the deeper that goes, the uh, the better the out- outcomes for the team. And, and you know, you're going to get really tested, you know, especially when you get into, you know, stage 14, 15, 16 of the Tour de France. Um, you know, that's that's when people's true colours start to shine. You see with Walt Van Aert, what a, a tr- true gentleman and um, and great teammate he is, as well as someone that can win uh, along the way. There are grand tours, and there's tours in America, there's tours all around the world, but how far out does the preparation for the Tour de France start? And, and is it like other sports that training is harder than the racing? Yeah, I think you know, I think one thing you know you can never replicate uh, in in training for the Tour de France is um, the nervous uh, energy that that you that has to go uh, that goes with uh, the racing every day. You know, once you've finished, um, you know, this year's Tour de France, you know, the planning will already be underway for next year. Mm. Um, but you know, the, the training and the planning that goes into it can can never simulate what happens on on race day. You know, one of the stories I often tell is. You know, when you're there uh, in the peloton, in the bunch of the Tour de France, you know the noise that you've got uh, every metre of that of that course throughout that whole day is just intense. You know, you've got um, four or five helicopters circling overhead. You've got motorbikes on the road. You've got fans. You've got cars everywhere, and just that noise and intensity can never be replicated in training. And you know, you've got to be able to learn to deal with that and. Um, not let that draw all the energy out or distract you from from the task at hand. Um, you know, so that's why you know these these guys, as they get more experience, they can deal with all those sorts of elements uh, much better. You know, because there's no noise. The only noise that you, the only time you get away from the noise is when you close your hotel room at night. Yeah, and I bet that's a welcome silence by Crikey. Yeah. yeah. So Jonas Fingergaard and Taj Pogacar, um, they are the head and shoulders. If there was to be an upset, um, I mean, there's mechanicals, there's injuries, there's crashes. I'm not want, wishing that on anyone. Who do you feel like is the next tier or maybe someone we can watch out for to maybe boogle a stage or two on this tour? Uh, for me, Richard Carapa from um, from EF Education First uh, is, is definitely one to watch. You know, he's um, won the Giro d'Italia before. Uh, of he's, he's Ecuadorian and he's he's a real battler, a real fighter, fighter, and you know he, he won't give up um, until until they get to Paris. He'll look for every opportunity uh, that he can. Um, you know, other ones that we've seen do well, Simon Simon Yates. Is, is also up there as a favourite. Uh, another interesting one who I've seen on the start list is um, Igor Bernal, who's won Tour de France before. Obviously, coming back from um, a, a major injury that he had last year, um, racing for the Ineos team. But uh, you know, he's been very, very quiet. No one's been talking about him coming in. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how far he is through um, uh, through that uh, recovery process. But I'm also looking forward. Our two Kiwis in there as well, Steph mm. uh, Corbin Strong and Dion Smith this year. Talking to Julian Dean, uh, seven-time Tour de France uh, rider. Um, so I, the last things I want to talk to you about: what was the Kiwis? Um, what's their roles? Will they have an opportunity to shine? Is there a mountain stage? Is there a time trial? Is there a sprint stage where they might get their name in lights? Yeah, I think um, you know we've really got two Kiwis sort of at opposite ends of the spectrum. We've got Dion Smith, who's, who's ridden Tour de France before. He's been um, riding 
for um, bike exchange up till this year, or, or Lula as it's now called. Um, and but he's back with his old team. He rode the Tour de France with the Belgium Wanty team. But if we remember a few years ago, he did wear the polka dot jersey for a few days uh, uh, with that team. So you know, Dion Dion knows the business. He's, he's been around um, for a lot of years now. And is certainly a very, very crafty, handy bike rider and, and knows how, how to get in the mix. Um, he'll probably be, have a, a few more responsibilities um, around Gramey, who he has uh, a teammate there who's um, won stages and grand tours before. So he'll be probably helping him in the lead-outs, but Dion will definitely have his own own opportunities if he can get up the road in a break and maybe steal some points for that mountain jersey again. Corbin Strong um, is first Tour de France. Um, uh, Strong. Southland boy Corbin is and uh, you know he's uh, someone that we've really got to look to for the future he's in the um, Chris Froome's well Chris was not obviously not riding this year but maybe Corbin's taken Chris Froome's place in the in Israel team uh, but they've taken him there they see a lot of, of great potential in him and I'm really excited for him because particularly those first stages in the Basque country there those first two and a half stages are, are really suited to him you know and they can be reduced um, bunch Bunches coming to the finish. Corbin's handy in the sprint, and, and who knows, he can definitely is capable if things go right um, of winning a, a, a reduced bunch sprint. Fantastic. Well, can't wait for it, Jules. I'd love to catch up with you at some stage during the tour. Maybe we can catch up once a week or something and just see what's happened and what's coming, uh, particularly when yeah. they get those mountain stages. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And we haven't even talked about the cab show, have we? No. Um, to, to this Tour de France. So there's another one, eh? That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, he's uh, going for that all-time Tour de France stage record. So um, I think, you know, if anyone can do it, he can do it, you know. He's, he's set that goal for himself, and he's a, he's a battler as well. And he's a nutter, Mark Cavendish. An absolute I think nutter. that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he it's, it's, it's really interesting psychology, yeah, because I reckon – you know, his psychology is that he said he's going to retire. He knows he's on equal with Eddie Merckx, his all-time stage win record at the Tour de France. So he just put himself under so much pressure to get that one more stage to have a record number of Tour de France stage wins. But that's how he operates, you know. Yeah, you know, he's he's done all that on purpose, I reckon. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Going to be, I, I, I think he's going to do it because, He's just a nutter, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hey, Joel, yeah, awesome to yeah. catch up. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, mate, just let us know whenever eh? I can I can catch up. That's cool. Okay. Um, we'll catch up every Friday. We'll catch up every Friday. We'll try and catch up every Friday. Um, I think one of the best sporting websites for information and engagement is the Tour de France website, uh, which is Le Tour, L-E. T-O-U-R. It gives you the topography of every stage. And I mentioned during that chat with Jules, um, that first stage, there's one, two, three, four, four, four categorised climbs. I mean, not tough and not arduous, but enough to, to break up the pack, the main peloton. 182 k's will take them about five hours, I would imagine. Um, just straight off the bat, there's quite often some friendly criteriums to start the Tour de France, but it's so engrossing and it is, I think, the best quality sporting production there is on television. Um, and great that we've got um, two Kiwi cyclists. Really looking forward to seeing Corbin Strong making his debut. And as Jules mentioned, 
just put five bucks on him for the first sort of four stages because he's he's a weapon man like he's very young but if he's if he's going to do something it will be early he's going to be a domestique and he'll be there to learn and and um, be a real asset in future for his team but um, go and have a look at Latour it's got profiles of every stage the results the time differences everything on all the different riders um, I've got a swag of questions while I was talking to Jules there um, sorry I couldn't get to them um, where are they uh, Steph my money's on a Pagacha he's just won his country's road and time trial and he's looking fit and has miles in the legs. Could you ask Greg, uh, Julian, how good is his team? He's very good. Um, I spoke to Jules last night actually as well. And um, he just, injury or incident aside, he just can't see anyone at uh, Pabagacha or Vingegaard. Just those two absolute freaks. And Steffi, how do you train your legs to do that many miles over and over again? I asked Julian that before, and I said, how do you get back on the bike when you've absolutely broken yourself the day before? And he said, you just have to. And sometimes you'll be starting out, and so he's a sprinter and a lead-out man, Julian, and they're in an alpine stage, which is just uphill forever, six hours in the saddle. And he goes and he said, you've been going about 10Ks, and you just think, I'm not going to finish today. I'm not going to finish today. And then you get a message through your headphone from the team director saying, you know, Johnny Reese, or someone's gone off the front, you have to chase him down. So you just put your head down and chase him down. Then you're halfway through the stage and you think, oh, well, I've got to finish today. They seem to have this ability to ignore pain and ignore fatigue and they redline. And when they get spat out the back and they see, you quite often see it, you always see it in the alpine stage, you get someone blown out the back, their body physically can't even as much as your mind want to your body just can't and if you've never watched it again watch the guy Walt Van Aert came from a mountain biking um, background he is an absolute beast on the bike oh it's fantastic and the Netflix doco that's out now um, watch that watch that so you can see what goes on behind closed doors right great to have Julian Dean on we'll do more of the Tour de France as it carries on we'll have a quick break Someone just asked me about the prices in the Tour de France, so I'm just hurriedly looking. Here we go. Here we go. So winner of the Tour, uh, joint favourites at $2.10 each. This shows you how pronounced just what Julian Dean said. Can't see anyone but these two. Vingegaard and Pogaccia, both at $2.10. Third favourite, Hindley, at $15. Fourth favourite, at $26 uh, is Enrique Mas Nicolau. Um, who are the roughies he gave us? i tell you what, oh, is that one of them? I had them written down. I wrote them down, actually, while I was talking. I'll, I'll peruse them, and I'll find some prices for you, because they are going to be big. Carlos Rodriguez, he mentioned, 71. Don't take them in the overall. Don't take them in the overall. But I hope that the stages are out. Have we got stage one out? Let me have a look. We'll take new sport and weather with Karen. Uh, I'll have a look for those. I'll bring you those. I'll bring you Brenna Popper from the TRB and see if we can make some coinage off the Tour de France. In the hot, hot sun. Ah, welcome in. You can bet live on your favourite sports by downloading the TAB app today. Poppy Dogs, Brendan Popperwell joins us. Pops, we just had a great chat with Julian Dean on uh, Tour de France. Of course, he was in it seven times. 
Um, it, I just love it every year. Um, and I know it's a betting option that gains momentum as the tour goes on, but have there been any yeah. early nibbles? Yeah, I did catch a little bit of that, uh, Steph. Good work. And, and look, as you know, when, when you're involved in the TAB, it is one of those uh, that, that gathers momentum in those stages. And when you get to those mountain stages, that is when the, the, the betting really does start to gravitate towards the Tour de France. Look, there's a couple of boosted options here that we probably need to just touch on that have taken the early interest. Uh, and, and that is, uh, is it Vinegard? Vinegard? To, uh, Vinegard, uh, yep. Vinegard, yeah, to win the Tour de France in Cavendish, to win a, a stage on the Tour at $6. Now, that's been boosted from 4.75, and it's been boosted to $6. And that has taken the best interest in terms of any power play or boosted option uh, at this stage. What was a couple of the roughies that he mentioned? I know I heard you mention it just before there that maybe we need to keep tabs on. Uh, Egan Bernal, he says Corbin Strong is an outside chance to win a stage in the first sort of five or six because he's got a good sprint. He's reasonable up the hills as well. While, and while they're not mountains, he'll have the strength to hold on and he's got a wonderful sprint as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, Egan Bernal and Corbin Strong early doors. All right. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. As as we crack into it, we we will certainly touch more around the, the Tour de France when we get into those um, those stages, and, and you can probably find maybe a little bit more meat on the bone when we get to some of those those stages. So uh, yeah, keep tabs on on the website. I'd say. All right, Warriors. Tonight you'll be getting wet in the stands. I'll be getting wet on the sideline, but uh, probably my favourite times to get cold and wet will be sideline at a Warriors game. Geez, I can imagine the turnover on this is going gangbusters. It is, Steph, and boy, uh, I mean, this is a serious go for the Warriors, where they were at a dollar eighty, a dollar eighty at the beginning of the week. They're now one fifty-seven, uh, and like this, this is about as big as it gets. I mean, we take a lot of money each week, every game. Doesn't matter who they're playing. Of course, they get well backed, and they get backed when they played the Melbourne Storm twelve months ago, when they're not, when they weren't as good as they are at, at present, and they still get backed. But this is in terms of of a price movement as favourites to then be real firm favourites, one of the bigger goes we've seen around the Warriors. Uh, so 157 their current price, and the 13 and over. Boy, the 13 and over has been touched up here. It is now $3.10. You could have got $4 uh, for the Warriors to win this match 13 and over uh, on Tuesday. So that, that's where the line is, and, and there's so much movement around another different options. Try scorers, um, Warriors try scorers are very popular. Obviously, Dallin at $1.57, but a, a lot of punters are looking around the middle. Uh, Fanua Blake has taken some good money at $5, along with Wade Egan at four fifty, and big Mitch Barnett at four fifty, coming off the bench. We've seen some money around those players, and Luke Medcalf, $4.20, and Sean Johnson uh, at $3.20. So if you can find either having a single bet in the anytime try score markets or the power plays. Now, the power play market that's taken the best support is around Dallin to score the first try and Sean Johnson to score a try in the match. That's moved from $34 to $31. And Dallin to score first, second uh, try in the match and the Warriors to win 13 and over. That's currently sitting at $10. That's taken some heat. That's going to take a bit more from me very, very shortly. Pops, I love that one. I love that one. All right, Pops, we've got a scoot. Thank you, buddy. All good. Cheers, Steffi. Cheers, mate. Brennan Popwell, he'll be in the stands. I'll be on sideline. Live commentary of the Warriors this evening. Coverage starts at 7. 
Going to take a risk. We're going over to Bulawayo, middle of the night. Talk to Mitch McLean who's at the Cricket World Cup qualifier. That's after this break. We are calling Zimbabwe. Why are we calling Zimbabwe? Because there's a qualifying tournament for the World Cup on now. And our very own Mitch McLean is part of the commentary team over there. Mitch, Zimbabwe. First of all, have you been there before? Yeah, I've been here uh, 2015 with the uh, old Black Caps. Uh, unfortunately, lost the first game, but uh, we bounced back uh, strongly. Uh, so, a country of fond memories, um, but it's been even fonder now, mate. It's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, it's been a great tournament so far. So, it's surprising to me that teams like the West Indies and Sri Lanka have to go. It's like a repercharge, really. They don't make it in their mm. in their own right. How have those two teams in particular been going? Oh, look, I know it's going to change the next cycle. I think there's going to be a few more teams that are going to qualify automatically. Um, but in terms of, like, right now, um, it's just the way it is, right? I, I think the West Indies in particular are probably a little bit disappointed with how things have gone. Sri Lanka's been outstanding. They've really been high quality. Um, they've brought Mahela Drywardner in as a... Uh, a consultant, and um, he's kind of been directing the team, and um, they've been very clinical so far. But the real story of the tournament, mate, has been Zimbabwe. Mm. They have been unbelievable. They really, really have. Craig Irvine, Sekunda Raza, uh, um, Sean Williams. Sean Williams is 36 years old. Um, Anyone who's followed New Zealand cricket for some time, Realised he performed quite well in the last series New Zealand had in Zimbabwe. But he scored 170 of about 110 balls the other day. And he backed it up with 100 of about 80 deliveries. So he's been uh, one of the surprise packages of this whole tournament. And Zimbabwe, the crowds that they've been able to produce over here has just lifted them to a, a different level, mate. Are they good enough to threaten when they get to the big dance, do you think? Is this is this a resurgent Zimbabwe that we haven't seen since, I don't know, the Flowers and Heath Streak, etc.? Yes. Yeah, I mean, Andy's here in commentary. Um, and off-air, Andy Flower is absolutely confident that these guys are going to be able to maybe not win a World Cup. I mean, that's probably maybe a stretch too far for this side. But in terms of being able to upset and make a really good run for the semis, the quarterfinals, he, he genuinely believes that these guys have got what it takes. Um, at the other end of the scale, disappointments, I'd have to say Ireland, who've been threatening and they've taken scalps in the past, haven't it been a great tournament for them? They've been terrible, mate. They've been absolutely terrible, mate. Um, and look, for every, anyone who follows New Zealand cricket, um, Heinrich Milan used to be with CD Cricket. They used to he used to be with Auckland. Um, he's been at the helm of this campaign, and and quite honestly, mate, he he'll be absolutely distraught with how they've gone. They haven't looked like firing a shot. The team hasn't looked like they're going to be firing the same line that the whole organisation wants to go in. So they'll be super disappointed. I, if I'm going to be completely honest, after having been at the games, having watched the games, I believe that they've probably taken Oman and Scotland a little bit lightly um, in terms of what they thought that, that they were going to bring to the table. And it cost them. It really did cost them. 
Um, Scotland's very depleted. McLeod's been retired. Um, Courtier as well. He's just retired. So Scotland, in terms of their win over Ireland, was probably the biggest win of the competition, barring Netherlands beating West Indies, um, obviously. Um, in terms of that, I, I, I genuinely think that Scotland will be stoked with where they are now. They've taken two two points through. They've got a real opportunity of may, maybe qualifying for the World Cup. One other team I wanted to ask you about, Mitch McLennigan joining us out of Zimbabwe, uh, was the USA. Now they've got a professional league starting soon. Um, do they look like they know how to play cricket, Mitch? Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> I'll be completely honest with you. Um, they don't. And from, yeah, I think I had real high hopes for the USA. I mean, Liam Plunkett's come in in an operational role, obviously a World Cup winning uh, fast bowler. Understands what it takes to, to win a championship. And even him being involved has not really helped the USA, and which is really disappointing, right? Like I think they've got they've got so many people who play cricket. It just comes down to, um, really, just comes down to the organisation and, and how well organised they are. And they're a long way off. Everything I've heard, they're just a little bit disorganised. For me, listening to that as like a, a fan of cricket and and the resources they have available, it's a little bit disappointing, but. With the introduction of the MLC and a few T10 competitions, uh, you know, it might take four or five years for them to really come into the frame of being a, a competitive force on the world stage. Right. So this this qualifying tournament, uh, we're in the Super Sixes now. Could you just tell us what happens from here on in? Um, I know you carried points through that you earned off the teams that have made the Super Six, etc. Mm. We've had one game of that now. How many teams make it to the World yeah. Cup, and who will those teams be in your mind? Um, well, Zimbabwe won today, and it was a close one against Oman. If Oman had upset them, they probably would have um, thrown a few spanner in the works, but Zimbabwe makes it through. They've got to win one more game. They might not even need to win more game. Um, so they're in a really strong position. West Indies, if they win three out of three, they beat if they beat Zimbabwe, if they beat Sri Lanka, uh, they could be in with a chance of, of qualifying. But my gut take, mate, is that it's going to be Zimbabwe and Sri Lanka going through, which uh, which is obviously upsetting for the Sri Lankan side. Uh, sorry, for the West Indies side, um, not to go to a World Cup. But that just is how it is. They just haven't performed, and the loss to the Netherlands. Um, you know what, mate? At, at at the expense of a couple of great New Zealanders, Tasia, um, and also uh, Logan Van Beek, I think they've been they've been instrumental in bringing the downfall of the West Indies as well. So um, it's it's nice to have a, a New Zealand flair here in Zimbabwe. But uh, yeah, I, I would say Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe go through. I'd be super surprised if anything other happens, but. Such is the nature of these qualifiers, mate. It can change in a day. So we'll just wait and see. All right, Mitch, I'll let you go. I know it's late in Bulawayo. Uh, Carry on. It sounds like it's a lot of fun over there, and I'm going to keep a close eye on your selections of Sri Lanka 
and Zimbabwe, and especially the rise and rise of uh, Zimbabwe, it's pretty exciting for world cricket that we might have another another contender. So you enjoy the rest of your time over there, mate. Cheers, brother. Thank you. Oh, Mitchie McLeanigan. Hydrated? Would you say, Robbie? Would you say Mitch is hydrated? I'd say that. Yeah. Having a good time, though. Having a good time. And I, look, to be honest, I haven't watched much of the um, of that qualifying tournament, but um, he is pretty fizzed up about Zimbabwe's chances, and they've been in the in the outer for a long, long time in the, on the world cricket stage, haven't they, Robbie? Like, you follow cricket um, religiously. I think it would be great to have them competitive. Yeah, no, it would be great. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I, I haven't been following it um, as much as I would have liked to as well. And um, But, yeah, no, as you say, Zimbabwe have been um, – you know, there there are thereabouts. They've competed at um, quite a lot of big tournaments, but yeah, no, haven't haven't really um haven't really got there in terms of results. And yeah, as you say, it'll be great to see them succeed and get through and see what they can do on the subcontinent in this World Cup. Yeah, just have another competitor. You know, just have another meaningful competitor. Um, I think it's great for them, a, a country that's just so torn by internal ructions to give them a little bit of hope. And the scenes in the crowd, the scenes out there in the crowd. Um, dancing and singing and I, I was quite surprised they have whole schools in their uniforms singing songs and dancing to drums and just looks like an amazing atmosphere I mean I've never had an inkling to go to Zimbabwe um, just because it's quite a dangerous place I'm led to believe I might be wrong um, but yeah it looks a good time um, so we wish those teams well so let's keep an eye on Zimbabwe and Sri Lanka's fortunes as they push to be part of the main draw of the World Cup um, coming up, which we're going to be at without Michael Bracewell and probably without Kane Williamson. Mm, give me a percentage chance of Kane Williamson playing, Robbie. I would say 15. Oh, wow, that's more. I, uh, yeah, I, I think he's he's like he's wanting to be optimistic and hopeful, but I just Edward. They're wanting to make the public optimistic and hopeful, and obviously we would love to have him there. But yeah, I I just think it was a big injury, and I I don't like the chances. Mm. Who's the ready-made replacement? Ooh, George Worker. I agree. <sighs> Hashtag George Worker for World Cup. Let's go. Uh, we'll have a quick break. I'll come back after that. Righto, you people texting and saying you want Tour de France tips. Here I go. I do like the boosted odds of $6 for Vingegaard to win the Tour de France. I think it's open to either him or Pogaccia. And Cavendish to win a stage. Cavendish, I can't say I'm 100% sure, but if he wins a stage, that's why he's come back. He'll be the most stage wins in the Tour de France ever, taking over from the greatest ever, Eddie Merckx. That is boosted to $6. That's handy. Um, I also like, given that I think Cavendish will win a stage in the power place, Cavendish and Pidcock both to win a stage. Someone else texted in saying, who's the British mountain biker that won gold at the Olympics? Olympics. It was Pidcock. Very, very rapid descender. Um, stage two. I, rec- I think he could win stage two as well, Pidcock. Uh, that's at $4. And one for slightly longer odds, uh, Enrique Mas Nicolau to have a top 10 finish. I think he'll. I think he's good enough for a top five finish. And Jorgensen, the sprinter, to win a stage, that's at sevens. So they're sort of my ones. Uh, there's some very long-priced ones there, uh, which I'll have a closer look at. But they're sort of the ones that stick out to me. Right, we're coming up to o'clock, which means it's nearly time for the Jeremy Paul Show. I've had a couple of questions in. Now's the time. Text us in on the Temper Bed Post text machine, double eight double three, for questions to the great former Wallaby, Hooker, 
You can chuck them league, you can chuck them rugby, you can chuck them ashes, you can chuck them anything you like, and he'll answer them. Jeremy Paul, after Karen's news. Just quickly, I'm going to give you the football fern squad that's been named for the FIFA Women's World Cup. Goalkeepers Victoria Essen, Annalite and Erin Naylor, who was in doubt with injury, but she's been named. Defenders Liz Anton, CJ Bott, uh, Katie Bowen, Claudia Bunge, Michaela Foster, daughter of Ian Foster. Nice touch at the naming ceremony. Friends and family went up and, and handed a brooch to the to the football ferns. They're going to play the World Cup. And Ian Foster and his wife were there handing their daughter their the brooch that she's taking part. Nice touch. Ali Riley and Rebecca Stott. Midfielders, Olivia Chance, Daisy Cleverly, Betsy Hassett, Annalie Longo, Rhea Percival and Malia Steinmetz. And up front, we've got Millie Clegg. I think she's 17 uh, from the Phoenix. Tall, can kick a ball, can hit a ball. Very excited for her. Jackie Hand, Grace Jail, uh, Gabby Rennie, India Page Riley, Page Satchel, like a sprinter in football boots, and Hannah Wilkinson, uh, and players on standby um, for injury cover, Ava Collins, Michaela Moore, and Kate Taylor. They are the three players on standby. Um, they have a warm-up match against Vietnam in, at McLean Park, Napier, July 10, and then the FIFA World Cup starts in earnest. Norway at Eden Park, uh, the Philippines, that's the winnable one. Uh, Wellington Regional Stadium. It's Sky Stadium. But we're not allowed to say sponsors during the FIFA World Cup. And the Dunedin Stadium, uh, they will host Switzerland. So there it is. Good luck to the football ferns. But now... It's time for the Jeremy Paul Show with your hosts, Mark Stafford and Jeremy Paul. Jeremy Paul Show. You've actually... Oh, saying to Robbie, Robbie knows one of the football fans. which went to primary school with her. That's fantastic. Jeremy Paul from Australia. Kia ora. Kia ora. Are, you guys, are you guys naming stadiums again? Are you guys going to lose another World Cup? <laughs> no, we have to take the names off the stadiums. You know, no, I know. That's what happened. Like, remember 03 when Australia came in and pinched the World Cup of you? Yeah, I know. I know. And I actually drove drove past the stadium in Wellington the other day and the, the sky word has been taken off. It just says stadium. Yep. <laughs> Man, it's, well, it's big dollars, right? Like, it's massive. It's, big dollars. it's massive dollars. And, I mean, that was the whole controversy back in 2003 because there was obviously stadiums. You had the NPC back then, I think. There'd been a lot of money and infrastructure put into stadiums, and it was like, no, we're not going to do it. All right, see you later. It's like, oh, oh. <laughs> Australia, yeah, we're happy. Yeah, we'll, we'll host. Um, <laughs> we'll host. Yeah, we'll host. Are you happy with the Wallabies team? We haven't spoken about this yet. Oh, hey, look, it was um, very similar to the to the earlier squad in April. Um, glad to see. Our mate Tate McDermott back. Um, he wasn't actually in that first in that first squad. So, um, you know, for me, I, yeah, staff, you and I have been talking about this kid for two years now. Um, and when he, I think, if he's playing in front of a Ford pack that is going forward, mm. then you know that 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 ability for a nine to to run, and I love a nine that runs. Like, I, you have to get out of the ruck and you've got to get to that second defender. And Tate McDermott has the best vision, I think, as a – he's obviously still an experience, but 
Um, a couple of other little. I'm not really. Uh, look, it's 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 who we thought was going to be, mate. Like I, I I like who we've got. Um, young Carter Gordon, I think, has been the rookie of the year for Australia. Um, the five eight from the Rebels. Mm, mm. It would be good to see him under Quade Cooper, um, learning from you know one of the probably very similar type of ten running ten. Um, particularly for that organisational and that decision-making experience. Um, it would be great to see him play a few games. But, yeah, no, no one really sticking out, mate, that um, it's great to see, actually, Suli Vanavulu, who is the ex-Melbourne Rebels rugby league uh, sensation. My God, he was unbelievable. And he's just had so many injuries. So, And Eddie loves his big... NRL wingers, he loves them. <laughs> so look to see him getting getting a Guernsey, definitely getting a start. Um, and it's just good to see some players back from injury, like Quade Cooper with an Achilles, Samu Karevi. I think Samu Karevi will be pivotal for us, mate. Like yeah. at twelve, you need him to incredible. you need him to win games, right? Oh, look, he's just he, he's a player that can either truck it up when you need it, like I just we just need yards hit the ball up because he's a big body. But even when he's doing that, he has the ability to offload, very similar to Sonny Bill Williams. Um, and he's also a ball player. So, And Marika Korobiti, mate, I just love the fact that he's gone to Japan leading into this World Cup. So he hasn't had, his, I suppose, his physical games. I mean, he's an incredible... One player I would love to have played with, Marika. My God, the guy's a human missile. <laughs> he is just <laughs> incredible. So... Uh, look, mate, I, I'm I'm really pretty happy with the squad. It's everyone, like I said, who I thought it would be. Um, it's just a matter now of putting it on the training pitch. The one omission that I was surprised with was um, Wilson from the Reds, the big number eight, who who sort of resembled David Lyons a little bit to me. He um, that surprised me. He was omitted. Mate, uh, uh, you'll actually get to read this in the rugby news yeah. uh, in my article in July when it comes out. Uh, don't have the exact page, but look out for it, uh, listeners. It's a wonderful read. <laughs> <laughs> I actually spoke about that. And look, I, I look. Harry, unfortunately, is, I suppose, a circumstance of the team playing poorly. He was he, individually, statistically, he was, he was one of the best number eights. But, um, and like like any sort of situation like this and take the all-black selections, right? You run three, four deep in positions. Number eight is actually a position we're running really deep in. And I really like that Lange Gleeson. I think Lange Gleeson, when he got to go on tour last year, came back and backed it up for a second year. He showed really good glimpses coming off the bench for the Waratahs last year. And this year had an outstanding Super Rugby season, and uh, he's he's everything that Eddie loves, like running, running back rower, high work rate, and you can't take away from Pete Samu and or Rob Valentini, depending on who he chooses at six or eight. Those two players have been out. They've been the benchmark in terms of back row forwards, and it also comes down to that um, you got to have balance in a back row. So by having Michael Hooper at seven. You got a shorter seven. You need a jumping number eight. Like you need a guy who can get up in the line out. So it gives you that fourth option as well as a defensive option. Um, where Pete Samu just, but Lange Gleeson, I think, would get the nod. I don't know how, how he went with his knee injury in the last game for the Waratahs. So whether or not 
he's actually available for selection. I don't know, but um, Pete Samu definitely is ahead of uh, Harry Wilson. I just would have loved to see Harry with, with, with the green and gold. I just I think he's he's a potentially oh, he's a wonderful mate. I, I'm with you. He is an extraordinary talent. He's still only 22, I believe. Um, the guy has a massive future. Like his his footwork and his ball handling skills. But I really do think it is it's a case of playing for a poor team this year. And when you're having when you're having to do all the work for other players within your within your team, you're not getting out, able to showcase what abilities you have. And I just feel that, um, yeah, he's the circumstances of, of, of his situation, unfortunately. Um, I've got a question for you, but I need to uh, uh, ask you another question first. Did you yeah, watch yeah, yeah. Did you watch the Wallaroos Black Ferns last night? No, I didn't, man. I've got a baby, so <laughs> didn't really. And the ashes are on. Yeah. So, <laughs> So my time is very limited in watching at the moment. <laughs> and uh, I took, mate, I'm an Ashes guy, but to, mate, run me through it. What happened? What was the score? 50 0 to the Black Ferns. Ooh. And they, oh, that's it. And they sconed, they sconed a lot of chances. Um, just someone's just saying here that the, the coverage was rubbish and it was, it was like they'd used cameras that they'd borrowed off a production company from the 90s. Oh. Yeah, it, was, it was a shame. Uh, Timmy Horan was doing sideline with a couple of others as well. But, yeah, it was a fantastic open-flowing game. So, okay, you didn't watch that. So here's some questions for you. Uh, this one came in very early from Mike in Christchurch. Question for JP. Can you please ask the great man what he thinks raises legacy will be for Super Rugby? Oh, the greatest of all time, mate. The greatest of all time. I don't think we'll ever see the likes of Scott Robinson ever again, um, ever, as a player and then as a coach. Extraordinary, mate. Absolutely extraordinary. I was saying that four years ago that Australia should have been going after Scott Robinson, which I also wrote an article about in the Rugby News. But anyway, um, we, we, we should have gone after him before Dave Rennie. Like, I, I, was, I was screaming for Razor. Like, and then he went on and won four more championships. <laughs> like, <laughs> my God. His time, he deserves his time now with the All Blacks. And again, Australia missed out on a wonderful coach. Um, yeah, no, there won't be anyone better, mate. Won't be anyone better, and he deserves that. What did he win? Three as a player, I believe, and then seven as a coach. Yeah. Ten titles. Yeah. Ten titles. <laughs> like, and with a revolving door of players. Like, he, he, he didn't have, like, you know, the big Richie McCaw. He didn't have Dan Carter, Kieran Reid. Like, he, he built that team. And, and that's the true... The true mark and and the true, um, I suppose, indication of, of how great a coach is is having that ability to create a high performance unit where great players leave aside and not just one or two at a time, but also players that take other opportunities, maybe overseas or go to other franchises. So you you're not just losing one or two players a year; potentially you're losing five or six, and to have that cohesion. That consistency is extraordinary. Absolutely, I, I, can't, I could not speak highly, more highly of, of Razor Robinson. He's just absolute freak. Uh, no Jeremy Paul show is complete without a question or comment from Ken. Uh, ah, Ken! <laughs> Staff, for JP, there's always next season, Blues Brumbies. Stay positive. 
And how do France under-20s have an 18-year-old lock at 144 kilos? But he wasn't that great. Cheers, JP. Love your work. Cheers, Ken. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's extraordinary talent watching that under-20s. I've seen some highlights, and um, they're just getting bigger. <laughs> like, I, I remember playing under-21s because uh, we used to have the, the quad series where it was between Argentina the the uh, junior All Blacks, South Africa, and ourselves. We didn't. The Mini World Cup opened up in two thousand. Uh, sorry, nineteen ninety eight, and I played it in nineteen. The last one in nineteen ninety seven. Um, guys played against guys like Peter Alatini, Troy Favell, um, a lot of junior All Blacks. John Smith through South Africa, Bobby Skinstad, mm. um, and it was just it, like players. Players now, though, when you look at them. They've, they've, you can see they've been in academies for a long time, like body shapes, even their structure, um, you know, the way that they, they – the way that the level and the calibre that they play at it is it's, – it's immense. It's actually really, really good for you. Obviously, defensively, they're not as strong. Um, we do see some uh, – a lot of points, but – and there's a lot of props, a lot of props scoring tries. Mm. Like, what is it? What is – what is this witchery? Like what is like what is this witchery? What is this black magic? Like it is, yeah. I, I'm yeah. I, I'm just absolutely flabbergasted at just the the talent and the size of these under twenties. But yes, can I? I can say the Brumbies can hold their heads up, and it'll be a long off season for the Blues. Very long off season. It'll be a lot of demons in those closets after that performance down at Christchurch. They'll be scared every time they go down there, mate, at least for a couple of years. No title since 2003, the Blues. It's yep. 20 years. It's quite incredible to think. Uh, one from Brad. Well, the Brumbies. The Brumbies only one year above that, man, in 2004. <laughs> oh, you, you've got your 20th anniversary next year. <laughs> yeah, I do. Actually, yeah. Oh. Don't remind me. Uh, Brad's got a question. How does it feel having two first names? Can you be trusted? Never trust a bloke with two names, but you can trust a bloke with three names. Jeremy Adam Paul. There you go. <laughs> Jeremy Adam Paul. Jap. That's you. Jap. There it is. There it is. Mate, it's always like this one at the airport. Ah, hello, Mr. Adam. Or hi, Mr. Mr. Jeremy. It's like, yep, that would be Mr. Paul. Thank you. <laughs> um, we always like to talk a little bit of other sport. Ashes. You said yes. before you're an Ashes man. Oh. Um, we do, we're covering it a lot. We've got ball by ball commentary on our network here and in Australia. Um, Aussie, England, it's just theatre. Staff, when you talk about sport, right, and you talk about the entertainment value, and that's what all sports now are trying to achieve, that product, that product to sell for pay TV and for audiences, not just for Australia and England, for world audiences in terms of and, – and, and the top of a sport in terms of uh, test cricket, you've got one day – got the one-day World Cup this year and you've got T20 when you've got the uh, Indian Premier League paying huge amounts of money. But it's always about test cricket. And not so long ago, there was a lot of talk about how boring test cricket was. Should we even have it? I was I was ready to knife someone. I really was. <laughs> I, I, mate, I thought I was back in Nadwai here. Back, I was ready to stab someone. I really was. I was like, "Don't you dare talk about Test cricket like that." We are into the second Test of the Ashes, so seven days of cricket we've had 
it has been arguably seven of the best days of cricket you would have ever have witnessed. This, this, this test, this Ashes series, is not just one for the ages in terms of 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 an Ashes test match series, but one for test cricket. It is ex, it is extraordinary cricket. It is exciting um, the way that the ebbs and flows go in this game. It's just wow. And Australia losing Gary. Mm-hmm. Oh, the goat, David Ly- like Lyons, Luton, not David. Nathan. <laughs> Nathan Lyons. I'm thinking about my old mate I used to play with, Nathan Lyons, walking off with a calf strain. The drama, no ball. Like, oh, it's just up and down, mate. I'm just, oh, look, I, I can't speak highly of it. And, it's, and I love the way England play. Isn't it? I just think it's incredibly disappointing when we're getting the press and getting people criticizing a team that's wanting to change the game for the better. Like, for the better. And there's always risks when you try to play that game. Like, I remember in the 2000 final when we lost to the Crusaders, we should have won that. We, we, had, a, we had a way that we wanted to play the game, and we should have had plan B and plan C. That's the one thing that England can take away from other sports and take it from playing in a Crusaders Brumbies final. We should have won and we just never kicked the ball and we just held on to it and held on to it and <laughs> held on to it. And, you know, you can look back at mind you, I still blame Sterling Mortlock for that because he got three for mate. Couldn't throw one over <laughs> if he tried. You know, he actually kicked one in front in that game and it bounced off the left, hit the right post and then hit the middle hit the crossbar and came back like it was just and we lost by a point every time I see him mate you lost that final anyway um I, I I cricket fans if you get the opportunity watch this Ashes series it is just it is just one for the ages I re, I can't speak more highly of it but look where where the teams are poised at the moment Australia Steve Smith what about that Mate, can I just for one second, though, talk about the Steve Smith thing and, and the catch? Yeah, well, look, the catch and look. But a lot of talk has gone on in Australia and around the world about whether or not Steve Smith should be captain again. And, look, he is an extraordinary player, and I love Steve Smith. I love Steve Smith. But Cat, Pat Cummings and what he's done, I look at I look at what happened with that whole debacle, the, the sandpaper gate, right? And one very definitive, for me anyway, point after that whole debacle was when Steve Smith first came off the pitch and was, in, was getting interviewed and the, the admittance of what had happened and then the comment when he turned around and went, this will never happen again under my watch, not knowing the extraordinary events that was going to happen like, <laughs> from that day. Did not comprehend the 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 enormity of the situation that had happened because of that comment, and how could you? Because no one had ever done that before, and no one had ever received the penalties that they had. And I just feel, look, he would make a great, and he does make a great captain when filling in. But unfortunately, I agree that he should be allowed to play again. Like he's learned his lesson. I don't think that he should ever be put back into the captaincy full time. And I think someone like Pat Cummins has taken it with two hands and he has just led this side. Like, how good is it having a bowler 
who is the captain that just brings himself back on and then and then gets a wicket. Like it's just and Steve Smith's role now. Like I look at some of the sides I played in, like under John Eels, he had guys like George Gregan, Tim Horan, guy Matt Burke, who were captains of the Wallabies playing underneath him. And that's what made us a great side when you got great leaders underneath. But yeah, what an extraordinary test ton by Steve Smith. Couldn't keep him out of the game with the catches. But that was the other thing that Australia's let themselves down with. Um, Labuschagne let uh, dropped a catch. Green, no ball. It's those. It's the one opportunity that you get, and you give yourself those. You've got to take them, and that's the difference in that level of cricket or that level in any sport. JP, we'll do it all again next week, buddy. Always good to hear from you. Oh, love it, boys, and can't wait for the first Test match between South Africa. We'll catch up with that next week, eh? Yeah, we will. Cheers, mate. Sure. Jeremy Paul show every Friday. As we were just talking about the Ashes, Robbie Robinho has done a great job editing together a few highlights from day two, test two. Remember, we've got uh, live ball by ball Ashes for you tonight, starting nine, first ball at ten for day three. But here's what happened on day two. Smith on strike, pushes into the covers, and there it is. Another test century for Stephen Smith. His eighth on English soil, his seventh against England in England. It has been a terrific knock from the moment he walked out yesterday with Australia just in a potential spot of bother. He has been in complete control. The ball has come off the middle of his bat pretty much continuously throughout this fantastic knock. He is the scourge of the English. He is the modern-day Bradman. He is a truly wonderful player. <laughs> Let's ruminate on the height of players for a little while longer. Stark is in. This is clipped away through mid-wicket. It's a lovely shot. It's going up towards the boundary in front of the grandstand, and that is a half century <laughs> for Graham Duckett, the much maligned Graham Duckett. Ben Duckett, ben I think of it. Graham's the name of his father. His father will be watching on with pride today because Ben Duckett has scored a half century against Australia at Lords. He'll want to get more. He'll want to pile on more and get to 100 and get that on his board. But so far, job half done for Ben Duckett. It's been a good knock. The man at deep backward square, but doesn't get there in time. And Nathan Lyon has hobbled a little oh. bit as well. What's he's happened? gone straight to his right leg. Oh, please. I think he's fine. He's back now throwing the ball down. But he is reaching for his right calf. No, no, no. So he was coming in off oh, the rope. We're going to need a replay here for tyre power. Clean bold saving. So it was a genuine top edge from Duckett. Lyon was in off the rope. And then had to pull up before the ball got in anywhere near close to him. And he's oh. hobbling. And, well, yes, that looks like a... That looks like a calf. Yeah. Face value, he's hobbling. They're going to yeah. have to help him off the field. He pulled up like it was a hamstring or a Where's calf. Johnny Bairstow? He he's could help him. Clutching below the knee. But oh, and he's signalling no. to the dressing room. Oh, no, he's, oh, he's in, in huge shorts. He's he is trouble. Oh. This, this is a massive blow for Australia. Duckett, top edge, could be caught. He's caught. He is out too short of a century. Down fine leg's throat, that fine leg being David Warner. And he turns to the crowd and celebrates. And now he's mobbed by his teammates. And Ben Duckett cannot believe it. He dawdles towards the pavilion, too short of what would have been a maiden ashes century. The game swings again. It swings again in day three tonight at 10 o'clock is the first ball, which just dovetails 
beautifully after the Warriors finish because they kick off at 8 and we'll have live coverage of both. And someone's just texting saying, Steffi, you're pacing for purpose, horse one. It did magic four, won by a nose. So a nice little collect for our charity Butterbean Motivation. But just for now, we're going to have a look at the um, Black Ferns win last night after the news. But let's take that news with Karen. I just got quite excited in that news there. I'm trying to find that music festival that Karen mentioned. They were all the bands from my teenage years, Go West and the Choir Boys. Oh, and all four. I was just like, really? 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 That's exciting. I tell you, something else exciting last night. And I completely forgot that the Black Ferns were playing last night. I was just so entrenched in something else. And then at about 5 to 10, I went, oh, the Black Ferns are on. And I just turned it over, watched the first half highlights, and then watched the second half. My word. My word, it was good. Robinho, he's done a great job again, editing up some highlights from the Black Ferns' amazing victory against the Wallaroos last night. Here they are. And we're underway here at Dolphin Stadium, and it's a short kickoff, and immediately the Wallaroos fly through, and it's the captain, Michaela Leonard, making the first hit. Demant holds it up this time and goes herself, pops it off the deck. Razzle-dazzle here from the Black Ferns. Holmes backing up around the corner, and now sends it right out to Medellini Paul. Chip ahead. Can she regather? Oh, it's a try! Quite brilliant from the Black Ferns. On to Boo, Madarangi, Paul. Home state alive, got a second touch on the ball, little dummy inside. And then out to Paul, great little chip kick and just sits up enough. Rule standing over. Going to go up the middle, gifts it to Murray. Mikaela Tu'u is over. And that's just confirming the markets. Pretty much where we're standing at the moment. Okay. No try. Mm. No try. <laughs> Kelly, long pass. And the Black Ferns still brought down just short. Vaha Akolo. And now the power drive here from Bremner. And Bremner's in. And the pick and go is relentless from Joanna Nan Wu. They just keep coming in waves, the Black Ferns. And that's a lovely line there from Bremner. What a try to the Black Ferns. Alana Bremner like, came back on the right foot, 22 metres out, came back in field, got around Smith. This is the tackle here right at the end. Black Ferns want one more. They want to raise the bat. They want 50 on the board. Here's Holmes. It's Duplessis spinning out of the tackle. Duplessis just brought down, but they keep it going. And Inatana Hohaya brings up 50 for the Black Ferns. Will Cross on debut for the final try of the night. There's a couple of poor attempted tackles there, wasn't there, from the Wallaroos. Willison. Drags it across the face. But that is full time here at Dolphin Stadium. On a windy night here in Redcliffe, the Black Ferns breeze past the Wallaroos. 50-0, the final score. Just amazing. And watch their next match. This 
teenage midfielder Sylvia Brunt. Uh, for those old enough to remember, uh, Trish Hina, um, uh, Honey, Hitami, Smiler. That, that's the ilk that I think she could reach. She was dynamic, as were a lot of the teams. Um, <clears throat> and something that's come out today was Sylvia Brunt got a text message from Ruby Tui before the game, just giving her a, you know, giving her a bit of a G up, which I think is just brilliant. Um, so yeah, it was a fantastic match last night. Um, and the next one, if I just uh, double check, they take on Canada in eight days. So that must be next Saturday, eleven o'clock in the morning. That is on Sky Sport. Um, <clears throat> this is part of the Pacific Four series. Uh, that's Sunday, sorry, Sunday, eleven a.m. Canada, New Zealand, Australia play the USA Sunday at 8am and then the following Saturday we play the USA. Uh, just fantastic. It was just so good and someone called before, Dino, one, our first caller of the day, just said it was free-flowing rugby and that is the trademark of the Black Ferns. I cannot wait for them to play France and England again just to see how we're measuring up. Six debutants last night as well. So the... The future is bright for the Black Ferns. Right, uh, i got text. Can I read that? Staffy, don't read this out. Okay, so I won't. <laughs> I won't read it out. So, okay. There you go, that texter. I follow what you say. I follow what you say. We shall have a break. I can actually see. I can see um, one media. Is that what it's called? One media. Go Media Stadium, Mount Smart, and I see Kimberly Downs in a jacket, a scarf, um, potentially gloves, uh, set up in the SENZ little tent, marquee, pagola, whatever you call those things. Um, So they're going to be bringing you the run home in 20 minutes live from the home of the Warriors, which is fantastic. But we'll take a break. We'll find out what's making news. Oh, Oh, yeah, we got you now, Staffy. Our stars weren't quite aligned. Hello to you, my friend. It's been a long time. It has. We've just been trying to um, organise the technology to um, the Warriors Stadium into the desk here while trying to link up to you too. So it's just been a little bit of a nightmare, but um, we've got there. We've got there and we've got you, Kingo. Well, I had the tin can and and the string. It's a long (laughs) piece of string to go across the the Tasman Sea. But anyway, um, Basball. I yep. know New Zealand's aren't playing in this series, but you do have an interest given your coach. Quite remarkable what happened day two. They were one for 188, and they sort of they, they took on the bouncer barrage, played some brain dead cricket. It seems like they only have one gear. It's thrilling. It's frustrating. It's all of the above, Staffy. What have you made of it? I've loved it. I, I've loved that it's bought an ingredient that hasn't been in the cricket recipe book ever. And I love innovation for a game that's been around for so long. In fact, on this show, um, at about, about half an hour ago, we had Jeremy Paul, the former 100-cap Wallaby on. We have him on every Friday. And he loves the Ashes. And he says, I can't believe people are criticising a team that are trying to make a game more entertaining. Bring yep. it on. And I love that. Well, rugby could probably learn a few lessons in that respect, couldn't they, in terms of of playing to entertain. Hey, this is a cracking game tonight, 6 o'clock our time. Uh, the Warriors and the Bunnies. I mean, a lot of people had the Rabbitohs pegged as premiership favourites at the start of the year. They've just gone off the boil 
in the past few weeks, conceding 30 points. This Warriors team, you put my Dragons to the cleaners last week. But Sean Johnson, career best form. Dallin Wateni, Zalesniak, career best form. Adam Fenua Blake, career best form. I spoke to Mark Spud Carroll a bit earlier. I think Andrew Webster has got to be favourite for coach of the year. Oh, I do too. And especially if tonight we can be, uh, excuse my attempt at humour, the bunny boilers uh, for <laughs> for tonight. Thank um, you, Glenn Close. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, it's been sold out for a week. Um, you cannot Has get it? you cannot wow. get standing room. People are leaving work early to go and find a car park. Car parking still was an issue around any stadium when when it's sold out. The atmosphere there is going to be off the hook and we've been wanting a season like this Kingo, for so so long um, and we've done it with a roster that was unfashionable at the start of the season, questions over Sean Johnson, question over letting Reese Walsh go, questions over so many things and every question has been answered um, Jackson Ford, who knew he'd be so amazing this year Dragon, yeah, yeah it was, it's just brilliant he's been, a great, he's been a great foot soldier mm. hasn't he? Jackson Ford. It's interesting, actually, what's your take on the whole Reese Walsh thing? A star for your club last year, they let him go back to Brisbane on compassionate grounds. Uh, having seen what occurred at the judiciary with the, the swearing and the rude words and the referee and, of course, the end of Origin 3, is there a sense in New Zealand that you know, maybe this was best for us, that we let him go? 100% in my book. Yeah, I wouldn't want him back, even though even though we know how good he is as a rugby player, but he... Uh, a league play. He hasn't earned his stripes to be the pork chop that he is at the moment. He's got the peacock feathers out when he takes the field. He's 20. He's played two origins. Um, and he's the way he carries on doesn't fit in um, with a New Zealand way of being. He would get spat out um, over here. Um, he's He's got... I actually think, and I said earlier in my on my show this week, that I think this three weeks out might do him the world of good. Um, just to have some time out and reflect, yeah. uh, and put someone with him. Get, get, get a get Darren Lockyer to spend some time with him. And hey, say, mate, like I know you're 20 and you, and you and you're young and all of that, but just give him a mentor because we are looking at a phenomenal rugby league talent. There is no doubt. But if he keeps letting himself down, he will not last as flavour of the month for long. Yeah. Well, Dave Donaghy, the CEO of the Broncos, has, has said as much in terms of getting somebody in just to. Like you said, mentor him, and Lockyer would be a, a perfect example of that. Uh, you know, it's funny, I spoke to Isaiah Papali'i on the program, sorry, filling in for Matt White yesterday, and uh, obviously a former Warrior, but just to hear the joy in his voice as to how well the Warriors are going, mm. uh, from a broader perspective as a New Zealander, but just for the sake of the competition. You know, healthy competition needs a healthy Warrior side. Oh, it really does, and it, it's incredible what it's done for rugby league over here. Uh, we spoke to a, a former coach, Bluey McLennan, won a World Cup as well, did really well with St Helens. He was on the show yesterday talking about his thoughts on the Warriors, and he said just the general chatter. He, he's up on the Hibiscus Coast, I think, is where he lives, and the player numbers are up 30%, all because yeah. the Warriors are going yep. well. Yep, yep. Uh, Eric, on the text line here, this is one for you, Staffy. Uh, I wish the Warriors could always play their games between uh, Go Media Stadium and Eden Park all the time. Uh, do you think we can get a Wellington team? Do you think at this stage that is sustainable from your perspective? I definitely think a second team is sustainable, but we had to make the first team competitively viable. And Consistently competitive too, yeah, I think. And we're, yeah. and we're doing that. Um, I know Christchurch is really interested. 
Um, they've got a new stadium being built, which is still probably three or four years away. I'm not sure how long away that is. It's going to be remarkable. Uh, Wellington's got good rugby league um, heritage down there as well. A lot of good rugby league players are coming out of there. Um, they'd need two or three years to get all the commercial stuff right, but there is absolutely no doubt there is talent. I don't know if you knew, I know we're running out of time, There was a com- there's a commercial arrangement just been established between Auckland Rugby League, which is not the Warriors, it's it's the domestic side, Auckland Rugby League and Manly to create pathways for up-and-coming Auckland Rugby League players. Okay. We need okay. to fix that. Yes, you do. Staffy, an absolute joy. Hopefully not as long between drinks next time. Let's hope so. Good on you, Thank King. Thank you, mate. There he is, Mark Staffy. Julian King across the ditch. We'll have a look back in the day after this. Here's what happened back in the day. June 30, 1930, Australian batting master Don Bradman smashed 254 in his first test innings at Lords. Astounding. 1994, US Figure Skating Association, they stripped Tonya Harding of her national title and banned her for life on her role in the attack of Nancy Kerrigan. Who can forget that? 2002, the genius of Ronaldo was the deciding factor as Brazil beat Germany 2-0 in the World Cup final in Yokohama, Japan. Uh, 2006, the Boston Red Sox played their 17th consecutive errorless game in a 5-2 loss to the Marlins in Miami, which stopped their winning streak at 11. Birthdays today, Billy Mills, American former middle distance runner, turns 85. Iron Mike Tyson, 57. Sanath Jayasaria, 54. And the man with the wingspan, 38. So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport then this great champion, Michael Phelps, he makes it 19 tonight and a 15th gold. It's a place that nobody's been to before and maybe we'll never get to again. What a moment. Not just for swimming, not just for Phelps, but for the Olympics in total. 38 years today, Michael Phelps. Don't forget to go and get your petrol. Goes up 30 cents a litre tomorrow after midnight. On this day uh, in 1980-something, the number one movie was Dragnet, Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd, and this was the number one song. Oh, I can see Beave and I can see Kim. They look freezing. They are live very, very shortly. Big thanks to Rubinho for jumping in today. I'll see you at Mount Smart soon.